Okay. <clears throat> Good morning. So, let's open with prayer. All right. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for how precious your word is. And Father, we thank you for your ongoing revelation that you show to us. And Father, I just ask that um, what you bring forth today would encourage your people and it would align with your heart's desire. Jesus' name. All right. So, um, as always, you know, you start off with one thing. So the idea of slow to anger is probably months ago. Oh, it's really... <laughs> my hair is pushing my microphone. Um, so anyway, so the idea of slow to anger was one of those that, you know, had come up, but then like with my other teachings... And I was like, no, I really, you know, I'm supposed to focus somewhere else. And so I couldn't even tell you. There was something somebody was teaching, and it brought it back to mind. And I was like, okay, Lord, when, when I realized I was teaching today, because I thought based on our text, I wasn't teaching till the 12th. And yet we, we got together for breakfast Thursday morning. And she's like, oh, so you're teaching Sunday. I'm like, no, I teach on the 12th. No, on my calendar, you're teaching on Sunday. I'm like, let me go back and check the email. Yep, I'm teaching on Sunday. <laughs> so um, anyways, so when I looked up the words together, slow to anger, it only happens a handful of times. And the few times I picked out are all in reference to God. And it's interesting because so the word for slow is a wreck, and it just means to be long, long-suffering, um, patient, and it does actually say slow, and it gives an example to anger. Um, but even the word that it roots to, a rack, means to defer, to draw out or lengthen, um, to tarry over time. And the word for anger is enough. And it actually means properly the nose or the nostril, and hence, you know, the face, um, occasionally a person. And it can also be from the rapid breathing and passion. And it talks about, you know, the countenance of the face, the forehead, the forbearing, um, long-suffering. And it does root back to a word that means to be enraged or angry, but that's that point of passion. And so... Um, from an application standpoint, it's really the process of having our face turned by his directive to move with the passion of his breath. And this occurs over a drawn-out period of time, meaning it will be an ongoing daily process that requires we die to self continually. And when the passion of the Lord is applied by sons and to sons, who are partnering with his ways, there's going to be a judgment and a return to his righteous vision that's being brought about. You know, and even with the part about the forehead, although it doesn't say set like flint, and I know it's the countenance, but it also reminded me, you know, just the concept of really our forehead being set as flint to see his way and no other accomplished. And, um, you know, and this is what we were reminded of recently. You know, Pastor Ron was talking about the river and how we just have to be, when that river comes, we've got to just flow with it. And we have to be determined that we're not going to try and siphon off or do something different, but that we are only moving in what his way is doing at that time frame. And so um, 
when we look in our first scripture, and I guess the other thing I'll point out before I get into it, it was interesting because when you found slow to anger, every time it was used, it was um, sandwiched in between the graciousness of the Lord and his mercy. And so the reality through the scriptures that I saw is that you can't fully understand the concept of slow to anger unless you view it in its proper position between the graciousness of God and his mercy. And when you see it from this perspective, we see where God is extending his grace or his desire to see his people triumph and a measure of his will. And then from this understanding, we then have our face turned by his directive to move in the passion of his breath over time, like we said, as an ongoing process. And then in this, his mercy is released to this point of intimate commune where we have met face to face with the Father and breathed in his breath or his spirit. And then we can move forward in the Tobe directive that we have received in this place. And um, just as reminders, because we all know what mercy is, but that it's that intimate relationship and commune with God whereby he releases his directive of Tobe to us. And this is issued forth in the presence of angels. And what's interesting is it actually comes from two words. And as we go through the series of scriptures, you see these two words used every time. And the first word is raham, which is actually that covenant bond of devotion and love. And it's often used to describe like the womb or the bowels, which we also know to be the seed of compassion. And it actually speaks of the relationship with a person. And then hesed, H-E-S-E-D, is the other word. And it actually refers to the covering of the mercy seat. And it speaks of the way that God actually releases his Tob directive to the covenant partner, which is what the Raham talks about. So starting in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 14 through 17, it says, And made us known unto them. And this is Nehemiah talking to you know, Israel, about their past. <laughs> and it said, And madest known unto them thy holy Sabbath, and commandest them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses thy servant, and gavest them bread from heaven for their hunger, and broughtest forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst, and promised them that they should go in to possess the land which thou hast sworn to give them. And... um well, okay. it says, but they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not to thy commandments and refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful. And so our words there, gracious and merciful, gracious, let me find in my note here, I didn't put the, well, so gracious is the word, um, oh, I didn't give you gracious, just kidding, there is another definition I wanted to give you, because I talked about mercy, I did not give you, so sorry, going back, so graciousness is the word hanan, which roots to kahana, which means to bend or stoop in kindness, and again, this is that point where God extends his grace to and through his people. 
And this is that aspect I had mentioned earlier about God desiring for his people to triumph in the measure of his will and purpose according to grace. So, and that's the word graciousness then is the hana. And merciful, which is raham. So that intimate point of relationship. Slow to anger and of great kindness. So kindness there is hesed. It says, and forsookest them not. So it's interesting because, yes, it's Israel, but there are elements that even as sons right now, we can still apply to ourselves. And, you know, it's interesting because I was listening over to the Wednesday Night Live teaching and a thought that I'd already pinned. I'm like, oh, that's where I heard it recently. But the idea of familiarity brings breeds contempt. You know, in this case, you had the sons of God, you had those who represented him as sons, Israel. And they knew at this point that they had been called out. He brought them out of Egypt. He, They'd been given the perspective of his heart for them and the world. And, you know, through Moses. And they'd been led into the wilderness. But it was like they became presumptuous in their own importance before the Lord. You know, instead of that continual point of dying daily... They were insolent and stomped their feet like little children. (laughs) And they refused to submit to what the Father required of them to continue to go forth in dominion. And, you know, when you look, it says, and they refused to obey, that's Shema. Um, And um, going back, and it says, and their fathers dealt proudly. The word for proudly is zed, and it just means presumptuously or insolent. And um, hardened is kasha, so, you know, through in the sense of being dense or severe, tough, um, to make something grievous. And the neck just represented that bending down or in a root to drop down. So that was that part, point of submission, you know. And you figure if your head represents your crown of authority and your neck is what allows you to submit that authority before the Father, that... The neck is an important part because the neck is the woman and it turns the head. No, I'm just kidding. If you see my big fat Greek wedding, <laughs> whichever way she wants it to go. But I mean, the reality is the head can't turn without the neck. And if we're going to turn ourselves to partner with his breath and that point of passion, our necks have to be bent down in submission to him. Presumptuously insolent. It actually also means to seethe. Think about somebody sending seething and anger. (laughs) And, you know, but when they're dealing proudly, it's like, you know, you seethe because you feel like, well, how dare, you know, we've been brought out. We know what we're called to. And we have a way we think this should be going. And because it's not, and you're providing everything for us, the manna and the, um, what was the other thing he gave them? Well, the water from the rock, but that, you know, he gave all that. But they're like, but you brought us out here to die. Yeah, the quail. Um, and so, yeah. So let me go back up. And, um, and when they, so like we said, it was Shema. And it says, neither were mindful. And mindful there is a car, which means to mark, to be recognized. So it's like you make a, um, a note so that you can remember. And when it says it, but harden their necks in rebellion, that word for rebellion is bitterness. 
And then you can see how easily it can tie into us because it doesn't have to be a rebellion of, I'm not going to do it because you said so. It can just be that bitterness of something not turning out the way we envisioned it should go, even on behalf of the Lord. And so when he's trying to take us in a new fashion, we've not died to that. And so then we're insistent on, we stomp our feet and say, but it's supposed to be this way. And why aren't these people cooperating and doing it the way that I envisioned God was going to make all this work? Um, So, and then to go back, let's see. Okay. And then it says, you know, they appointed a captain to return to their bondage. And when it says, but thou art God, that's Elohim. It's Eloah, and then it roots to Elohim. And ready to forgive. And then that's when it goes on to talk about how God relates. And so, you know, they hardened, like I was just saying, the aspect that would bow and submit to the plans and purpose of God. And instead of moving with his face or his righteous vision as he related to them, they pushed back. They were tough in resisting what God showed them because they would rather go back to their enslavement to the Egyptians because there they could make a name for themselves. They had established, they could establish their own place of fruitfulness that didn't require the sacrifice that he was asking of them. And, you know, even for us, how easy is it to, the Father wants us to sacrifice more, to die more, and we want to say, you know what, what we had back there, what we were doing, the way we were partnering with God, that was pretty fruitful. So let's just go back to that and stay there because that seemed to work. (laughs) Um, Because really, when you go into that wilderness and sometimes you speak out his truth and you feel like it's falling on deaf ears or that the seed has fallen to the ground and you don't see it sprouting up to grow, you're just like, what, what, what was the point? We just went, we spent all this time in prayer. We spent all this time in partnership. You know, and even as I'm talking, I just feel like the Lord's saying too, like we were praying about what are those things that could be barriers to what's happening in Brazil, what he wants to release in Brazil. And I think that really this point of, We've spent all this time in preparation of intercession. We have sacrificed in our time to partner with him. And that there may be, even as we release, you know, times where it feels like it falls to the ground or that it's not received in a way that it seems like it should be, especially because we've covered this in prayer, but not letting that um, keep us from continuing to, in submission, bow ourselves you know, to that which the Father has directed us to do. Um, And so, like I said, the reality is they knew that they were going to sacrifice their true freedom and and going back to that life. And the Father knew this, and because above all, he wanted freedom for them to partner with his ways and to bring his will to bear upon this earth, he was still long and continually bringing them before his intent for them to look at where he was going with his vision and pursue his passion, you know, pursue with a passion his ways. It's like that was such a desire on his heart. If Moses was going to listen, if there was an ear that was going to hear, he was going to continue to lay forth his desires for them to partner with him. Because if not them, who else? That's who he had set aside. Um, And so, yes, we can become presumptuous in our walk with the Father. He has given us great authority because of our point of submission. However, the moment we take his understanding and revelation and attempt to apply it in our own way, and again, this is that, you know, you're in the river, but if you're trying to siphon off the river to try and irrigate your own field because, 
well, I can at least make this nice over here as well, but I'll still be in the river. But by then it's moved on and you've missed it, even if it's flowing. Um, you know, if we forget the necessity to die daily, that we can find ourselves in this place of rebellion and resist the new thing or the way that God is calling us to move. And I just know in this coming year, the Father has said that he's going to move new and unprecedented ways to bring his breakthrough. And so we have to continually be on our face before the Lord in intercession so that we are being led by his spirit and not in our presumptions of how the accomplishment of his work should look. Yes. Um, a couple of things I was thinking. Um, I don't know if I can remember all of them. But um, as you were talking, God had already brought this idea, you know, um, laying laying ourselves before the Father in prayer. You know, we have um, Muslims who, you know, they religiously roll out their mats and lay, you know, proskuneo, but they don't understand the, you know, the the Creator and the and the personal relationship that they really need, and yet they're dutiful in that action daily. And it just reminds me that, you know, how much more should we as sons be willing to roll out our mats and proskuneo in that wilderness, in that desert place? And it's a continual, as you said, you know, laying aside all, you know, yes, we've prayed and yes, we've, you know, stood at the right hand. And yet we still have a idea of how something should go forward. And God's saying, that's a great idea, but I still need you to be willing to set that aside so that when my spirit moves and it moves in a way that you can't always see, that you're still trusting that what you're doing is exactly what I asked you to do. And yet, you know, as you said, that river's flowing. You may not see all the places it's going, but that's not for you to be like, well, there's a place over there that doesn't look like it's getting any water. Maybe we should try. No, no. Right. <laughs> he has a timing for that. You know, it looks barren there, but until he directs you to go there, you've got to stay where he's, you know, he's asked you to stand. Right. Well, and see, as, yeah. as it was said, you know, not only are we on, as the river comes up to where it can't be crossed, it's not just us on our side, that there's people on the other side that he's brought to that point, that he's prepared to be in there together. So there is a timing. If you think about it, too, that whole process is kind of a subtle demonstration of Ananias and Sapphira. I don't know what their motivation was in holding back the biggest chunk you know, or any chunk, whatever. I don't even know how much it was. I just know that they lied to the Holy Spirit about it. Right. They claimed they brought everything, that all the proceeds from selling their property, and um, they, they held some back. I don't know if it was because they felt like, well, you know, we need a little nest egg. You know, we've got to, that, that when, you're, when your mind kicks in and starts taking over it's like well i'm just being reasonable about this now right you know i've got to have something in the bank right. you know gotta have something for tomorrow i mean god did raise me to be responsible and i've heard that whole thing you know in people's reasoning and yet it's really a subtle it's that subtle point of rebellion right. that that almost doesn't even look like rebellion because it would look like common sense well right. of course right you know and yet that's that aspect where father's like I need every aspect of you totally submitted because if I can provide that, I can continue to provide everything that's needed as you're walking in my purpose. So no, you don't have to set this aside or set that aside to try and 
account for what might happen that's unknown in the future. I just needed you to trust me in the unknown and know that I've given you this directive and you have to be faithful and moving. And, you know, and that's what he had done with Israel when it said he made known to them. He laid all of that out. He laid out that point of partnership and how he, if they would do those, those 10 things, you know, through time, all that other stuff got added. But if they would do those things, that that was what was going to keep them in alignment with his heart to be able to take dominion and to move. And he kept telling them, I'm going to give you all these nations. But then they'd start to look and they'd see themselves dwindle or how many women they had and children. And maybe there weren't as many mighty men or maybe the last one sprained an ankle and the other one, you know, I don't know. But just that they started to in their own minds, well, you know, because you hear the saying, well, God helps those who help themselves, you know, or God gave us a mind so we can use it. Well, yes, he gave us a mind, but it has to be submitted to him because if we just keep coming up with our own application, then you end up like in the New Testament, the Pharisees and Sadducees who had rules for their rules for their rules. So you didn't break those initial 10 rules. And by then you were so far from the spirit of what God was doing that you're not in the river anymore. <laughs> and I, I think that's, oh gosh, I keep having this thought and it keeps dissipating. So, you know, we, you, you know, you're talking and the application is, you know, our kids growing up. And we look around and we go, there's so few people, you know, in this walk right now. Is there going to be anybody for, a gen for, for generations to come? Is there going to be anybody for them to be able to partner with and bring forth new sons? And, you know, it's a legitimate thought. But the reality is we have to go, well, did God provide this far? Yes. Has he provided us with, you know, children? Yes. Will he provide our children for their children? Yes. But it is a, it's a hard place to be because you do look around and you want to go, there's not very many people to choose from. <laughs> and yet knowing that, you know, that's not the end all to end all, but also realizing that, you know, there is a, a process of us, again, trusting, you know, God brought back to me. You know, you committed or you dedicated your kids to me. So do you really still trust that? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know if you were going to say something. Okay. You know, and it's interesting, too, because, of course, this is about the passion of his breath. And for the aspect that it relates to anger, you know, it did remind me as I was working on this, um, the last time I taught, the scripture, and I wrote it in my notes somewhere, that it was just talking about, you know, the breath of God being what's going to destroy the enemy, that as passionate as he is about that, you know, that's the same desire and passion he's directing toward us to see us bring his purpose to bear upon this earth. I mean, as angry as he may be in one direction, he's just as passionate that we would grasp hold and fully walk with him. And so, um, you know, I wrote out the, I don't think on yours I did. So in my notes, I also put in Nehemiah 9, 19 through 20. Um, and I'll read it. And it says, Yet thou in thy manifold, which is Rab, or abundant mercy, so Raham, forsookest them not in the wilderness. The pillar of the Lord departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light, and the way wherein they should go. Thou gavest also thy good or thy tobe spirit, Ruah, to instruct um, them 
and withheld us not thy manna from their mouth, and gavest them the water, which is that flood or the spring for their thirst. So I just thought it was interesting because I don't know why. How many times have I read the scripture and never thought of it this way? And maybe it's been brought up in another teaching, but it's just now ringing true in my brain. But um, that he actually gave his spirit to his sons. Like, you know, because I always think about the Holy Spirit is, you know, once Jesus left, that the comforter came. But, you know, his same breath that came in part of the waters, I mean, that was, it says here, he gave his toe ruach. He gave his tov spirit to instruct them, and that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. The Holy Spirit teaches and it instructs, but that his same spirit was still within his people. You know, every person from the beginning of time had this element of his spirit within them. So it makes sense that there's going to be a way, and I know part of that communication, and I don't know if that would all be relegated to the commune with Moses, meaning when he was face-to-face, breath-to-breath communicating, but that we know that he wanted them to passionately pursue his ways, you know, which is his breath or his spirit, so that it was also present to be able to bring understanding. And um, just technically, I don't believe they had, they didn't have the promise of having the spirit within them right. in the indwelling like we do. Right. But they they certainly had the spirit working with them. Right. Yeah. So... Um, all right. So then in Psalms 103, chapter, or verses 1 through 14, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, which is actually within me. Well, really, the whole all that is within me is just the nearest part or the center. That's the bowels. Um, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget so... Don't mislay or be oblivious, not all the benefits, um, not all, all the benefits. And then it goes on to list what those are. And the word for benefits, though, is those things that have been bestowed or been dealt bountifully to his people, to his sons. And the bounty of that is who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy disease. So we know you know, iniquities or the twisting, but the word there for healeth just means to mend by stitching or to make whole. Um, and all thy disease is all one word, and it just talks about to chul. <laughs> so those things that need to be, because it talks about being sick, but it does root to the word that means to chul, so that which needs to be restored. <clears throat> and then it says, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. And... Um, Redeem there actually has to do with being that next of kin. So, um, you know, or to buy back like a relative's property or to marry, you know, the widow of a, a brother. And so I just kind of saw that too was um, us being able to be fruitful again so we can bring forth that fresh creative life in accordance with his ways. Um because that's what happens when you would redeem the widow of a brother. You were providing that opportunity for fresh new life to still come forth. Yeah, And it's also like that concept of what the enemy intends for evil, God turns to good. Exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. And it says, Who satisfies, satisfies thy mouth with good things, so that the youth is renewed like the eagles. And... Um, 
did I skip? Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped verse 4. Just kidding. Because <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. All right, it says, Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. So, you know, destruction would just be the corruption or the pit. And it says, Who crowneth thee. So the crowneth has to do with encircling for, um, to like, to attack or for protection. So, um, and he encircles us with his loving kindness. So has said, this is mercy. And what the word for tender mercies is raham. So that covenant bond of love and devotion. And who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth, and youth just relates back to a young boy or girl, but it also talks about like the shaking of the mane like a lion. And so then it roots back to being it to growl or to yell. Um, and, you know, that even reminds me that shaking, it's like shaking off things that would keep you from embracing the strong meat of his purpose. And it says, the Lord Yahweh, so that's Yahweh, executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed or for all that are pressed upon who are violated, who are defrauded, or drink up, meaning you're used up. And it goes on to say, He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord, or Yahweh, is merciful, Raham. And gracious, which is the word Hanah, well, Hanun. slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. And, um, yeah, and mercy there is said, And then, of course, are slow to anger. And it says, he will not always, he will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. And it was interesting because, you know, when you start to look this up, like, he will not... It's the whole phrase. He will not always, all means, the goal, which really I think goes back to always. So like he will not probably really isn't even there. But, you know, the goal or it's that bright object at a distance that you travel towards. So the splendor or truthfulness. Um, so his truthfulness will not, or his truthfulness won't debate because chide is the word to hold controversy or debate. And it says, and neither will he keep, again, all one word, which we know keep is to guard, so neither will he guard, um, which is reserve, and it does say cherish anger, his anger forever. And his anger forever actually means olam, which is that concealed or vanishing point in the future. Um, or it can also go back to the beginning or the word etern the world eternity. So, and it goes on to say, he hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as heaven is above the earth, so great or so strong to prevail is his hesed toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed, and the word removed just means to widen or even recede, so to pull back our transgressions from us. And the transgressions covers that rebellion, which is, we learned earlier, it can go to bitterness, but it's the sin or the, that revolt. And so, like a father pitieth, which is actually Raham, so we know that to be mercy, well, the covenant relationship, his children, so the Lord Raham them that fear him. 
For he knoweth our frame, he knows our conception or our purpose, that's what that is, and he remembereth, so he marked to be recognized that we are dust. So, you know, we've already talked about that we have to, and we know that we have to continually submit ourselves to the plans and purpose of God so that his breath can direct our desires towards his will. And it all starts with a voice. And he wants his purpose, you know, going back to where it's talking about the youth and our mouth being fruitful um, or being filled. He wants our voice, um, right? He wants his purpose to adorn what we say. So like a young son is eager and loud and willing to proclaim or yell what the father wants to do, we proclaim his gospel. We proclaim his desire. That's what's been placed within us as a seed. And we know that this is vital to the heart and plans of God, that he draws out that exacting passion so that we continue to partner with him. And I just thought it was kind of cool because, you know, that last bit too is that he has marked us so that we're recognized as dust that can be caught up in his breath and move in his ways. I mean, he knows this is the purpose he created us for. And so does the enemy because this is the purpose that the enemy hated, that we would be caught up as dust. It's like he had us marked for that so that, all of heaven knew this was our intent. It's like, you know, you mark your little oil bottle so you know which one does which. You know, we were marked to say, they will partner with my purpose. They will be as dust and they will move as I direct them. Um. <laughs> That's you. I, I do think it's interesting in your prior scripture, it was God's heart that was slow to anger. And in yes. this one, it's his the aspect of him, it's his plan. Right. His eternal plan. His slow to anger. And you just realize, you know, because his heart and his plan go together, that it's both of those, because of his love towards us and that relationship, because of his desire to see his plan accomplished, he, it's that long passion, it's that desire that's always there for us to partner. And you realize that really means there's no plan B. He really has... This is his, yes. This, this was his. Even when Israel rebelled, he knew. He knew it was going to happen, and yet he knew there was going to be a few, you know, Moses and then Joshua, who would listen, Caleb, who would listen for his heart, and he knew this was the, this was the way to go. So even though we look through history and go, what a disaster, or even if we look around now and go, what a disaster, there's no plan B. This right. is exactly how he knew it was going to transpire, and he knew the hearts of those he had invested in. Not that he wouldn't want more, but he knew it was going to be okay because he has a plan. Right. And that also means that this is his plan for all of his children, whether they reject it or not, whether they say, well, you know, I'm just not called to that. Right. He's called everybody to this. Right. This is, yeah. Oh, dead. And with that uh, same understanding, we look at the pillar of fire and the cloud by day. Um, it was it was the in, indwelling of God's Spirit in the nation. We have the indwelling of God's Spirit in us. So, you know, that whole nation is a type of who we are. Right. We actually stand before God as the fullness of a nation uh, with the impact of a nation. That's, that's the power within us by the Spirit, as was demonstrated as the children of Israel had the Spirit of God leading them. Right. So I thought that was really a, a powerful del illustration there. It's funny you should say that because I was just 
going the ultimate distance here as usual. And because uh, in the beginning with Adam and Eve, God tried to make that relationship uh, where they could run an entire existence of the earth, the planet. Okay. Right. And there was no nations. And so now there are, and there's millions of people and it just bogs our mind that this can happen with millions of people on the planet. And yet God knew this. He had the intent of that all along. And so when you think about how God is moving like this, it's he's teaching us to move in the most powerful way, which is spiritually, which is starting with the voice, because that's the only thing that can reach from this physical worldliness of ours and touch him. And, and he can meet with, you know, that can be, he can, uh, bring himself to, you know, you know what I mean with his, so it doesn't blow us away in a way we have to be that dust that partners and we spiritually move through our voice to do that touching. It has to be our willingness to voice that to, I mean, that's that touch. And that is powerful enough to move through us to nations. Right. Well, that's, that's phenomenal. I was just saying that's even, <clears throat> again, things are being released. You know, if we're in that temple of the tabernacle, if we're in our intercession, we're the conduit. We're what is bringing, what are bringing his voice, his intent, and making it known so that when he intended for everybody to be aware, you know, for those who aren't in that point of commune with him, that his spirit within them is like, yes, this is it, you know. This is what I identify with. This is who I am. Right. But how important then what we say and how important that we submit so that our voice doesn't become the bitterness that would keep someone else, you know, and it, it even lends itself to why it is so much more grievous for somebody who has taught, you know, and led people astray because that spirit, you're stealing the opportunity for that spirit man to be enlivened, to know its purpose and to partner and join. And it's like, you know, you were the one who was established there, you know, you heard, you saw, and instead of directing it as the father, you siphoned it to try and feed your own Right, your own iniquity. But remember, too, I can't, I can't, I, I have lived with that in, in my life. I mean, personal, right next to me right. all the time. And so I cannot anymore give that any weight. I don't even, that isn't a thing. Yes, that is bad. But it's so happening all the time. It's so what is. It's so prevalent, prevalent you know, that whatever that word is. Prevalent. And <laughs> that it doesn't even seem like a thing to me. It seems like that's just... For God, you know, I mean, he knows that there's this stupidity going on, that that's happening. And so I'm serious. It's so it's like I, I it, 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 and I can't even like if we're ascending to that point and we're going to see that reaction, I'll give it to you in a second. But we're, we're ascending to that point to reach with God and then touch back down to meet with him that and that's going to have a, you know, lightning effect to the world, billions of people. And it boggles our mind. I don't give I don't care how that's going to happen. I don't care if you guys are all the ones that do it. I don't care. It right. just doesn't matter to me now. I am so like, let's just be in that place. I, I don't care if I'm holding a stick that's a hundred miles long and holding you guys up there to be it. It doesn't matter because now we know right. it's done. But that's because you're submitted too. you know, because I mean, Israel knew they had the understanding they were being led by his spirit and yet they still, you know, at some point were like, Nope, we don't want this. And I'm not saying, I mean, hopefully we're not, we'll be on guard 
but the yes, still. Um, okay. And so Psalms 145, verses 5 through 13. And it says, oh, you know, I, did you, oh, I thought you were supposed to say something else. I was going to go back because um, I also thought it was significant, you know, when it, he's talking about, I will bless the Lord. You know, the word for bless is Barak, you know, and that's that point of submitting to take on the commissioning of the Lord. And so it's like his soul, <laughs> that point that, and I think it's nefesh, you know, that your bowels, where you have that point of intimate commune, that was going to bless the Lord. That's what was going to receive, you know, that commissioning in accordance with his ways was that aspect of you. Because when it says all that's within me, you know, that's again, the bow, that intimate place of commune with him is what um, allows you to partner with him in this being slow to anger. So then this really ends up not just saying, oh, bless the Lord. This really is a submission of I am laying down all that I am so that you can be, your holy name can move. And I think too often we look at this and go, oh, that's really nice. Bless the Lord. Yeah. No, this is really a kneeling down of all that I am, of all that, you know, is it with, and not to be repetitive, but those things within me that I may have set up for, well, I'm just planning for my future. I'm just, you know, trying to watch out for, you know, my five-year plan. And while that's not a bad thing, there's still, that five-year plan still has to be submitted to the Father's heart. Right. It still has to be laid down and said, at all costs, I'm not going to forget the benefits of, of who you are or what you do because I am completely submitted to where you want to go. Yeah, I never looked at that before either. But he's really, he's really directing his soul, what his mind, will, and emotions. This is pay attention because right. this, this is, is where you need to function. be aligned. Yes. Yeah. Because that's the only way that your mouth is satisfied with the toad things of the Lord. It doesn't mean you're going to get all the yummy food that tastes good. <laughs> I mean, it's you know spiritually. His tobe word is on your mouth, on your lips. That's what you're declaring because you've submitted your soul. You've submitted your mind, your will, your emotions to this point of partnership. So, amen. All right. And so Psalms 145, starting in verse 5, says, I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare the greatness. I mean, this is the same concept, you know. Um, Because of that point of submission, you're talking about his honor, his majesty, his works. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. Because when we are bringing honor and glory to what he's doing, then that's what enables the nations to be able to have marked before them the goodness of the Lord and to sing of his righteous perspective, to have that ever before them, to have that what they want to partner with. And then it says, the Lord is gracious, which is our word, Hana, um, and full of compassion, which is Raham, so that covenant relationship, slow to anger, and of great mercy, or has said. And it says, the Lord is tobe to all 
and his tender mercies, or raham, are, are over all his works. So it's interesting because works is actually all of his transactions or all of his product. And so then when you look at the next verse and it says, all thy works, so all thy transactions, the product that you have made shall praise, or yada, so hold out that empty hand of partnership, um, shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. So, you know, it's just interesting because, um, oh, I've not finished, but, you know, you just realize it's that intimate point of commune, again, with the Father in order to receive his directives or the building block that makes his kingdom everlasting and causes his dominion to endure through generations. And it's interesting, though, because it's... Um, Again, it's like because creation, everything, so like, you know, you go to the bank, you make a transaction. All those things that he has done, those are what then offer that point of partnership. You know, it's, um, let me see. <laughs> right, right. It's like she was saying, it's been sewn forward. And so that he goes on, I mean, again, this is Psalms, but he's saying, and thy saints. We know those Hasid, those who are called out, are going to then Barak. Barak thee, kneel to receive the commissioning, submit to that point of going forth, that point of partnership in accordance with the purpose of the Lord, with his tobe. Um, but that's because of his, that desire for the relationship and because of the long process of wanting us to partner um, and it says, and they shall speak of the glory or the kabod, so the weightiness of thy kingdom, and dabar, or talk, of thy power. And the word power is gabar, so it's force, the victory, it actually roots to a word that, word that means a warrior, to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. You know, and this is that idea to me of that Pastor Ron was talking about of really making disciples by pattering it. Pat, pat, man, pattering, patter, <laughs> patterning it. I can talk. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, but when we have partnered with the graciousness of the Lord, when we have partnered with that passion of his breath and heard from his right hand, you know, what his desire is to move forward in, then that's, you know, when people come back and they, when other nations see us functioning in this way, then this is how they're going to function, you know. And again, it's coming back to, okay, the question that was posed earlier. So where are we in the river? Where are we? Are we still committed? Are we still participating in that first things first in our point of intercession so that if they were to come and be with us, that they would see that our life is pattern... Pat oh my gosh, I could say it until I had to say it. Reflecting, <laughs> you know, the same truth that we've been declaring to them. And, you know, because if you go back to what you think, oh, this is the bedrock, these are, this is where the truth came from, who God showed it to, and they don't see us in that point of partnership, and we're like, oh, well, maybe I'll pray, but I've got these other things I really have to take care of at home, and then I give maybe a half an hour, and they're like, but wait, but the message is that intercession, that relationship has to be first, 
and then that's not what they would see. I mean, even if they never come, <laughs> you know, is that where we're functioning? Is that where our point of partnership is? So that if anybody that we were to share the truth of his glory with, how he wants to partner in this compassion and in his graciousness and in this point of being slow to anger, would they still see that reflected in our life in this moment? Um, so, all right. So then in Joel 2, verses 12 through 13, it says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping and mourning. And when he says turn, that's the word shub. So we know it's returning to a starting point. Um, and so it's like, again, coming back to that first love, doing first things first, you know. And yes, Joel was talking to Israel, but we have to remember for ourselves continually that we are turning back and that with all of our heart, with all our mind, will, and emotion, that, you know, with fasting, we know fasting to be that point of submission, that point of becoming as dust so that it's not our own agenda, but that it's really whatever the Father's desire is what is directing our forward movement, you know, and, and it says and with weeping and with mourning and, you know, weeping and mourning, I mean, that to me is partnering that voice because it's, it means the words they use are wailing, you know, to wail aloud. When you wail, you're coming back to partner your voice and say, Lord, it is not anything of me. I need your perspective so that I can be in this place of first things, so I can be in this point of commune with you. Because when it says, you know, and rend your heart, that's what the Father wants. You know, the rend is to tear. He wants us to, our mindful emotions, have that torn down, not our garments. I mean, yes, we may cover ourselves with things, and, you know, the garment has to do with the covering, and it does say to deal deceitfully. But, I mean, if we've covered ourselves with something that has caused us to not, um, I mean, because you can function in deceit. You know, you can use something not as the Lord revealed it as he intended, and that can become deceit. But it's like he's not even about that outer garment, because the outer garment is just a covering for what's in the heart. That, your heart, is what he wants to have be made small before him and to um, in return unto the Lord or to his plans and purpose. And again, return is shub, going back to that starting point, because it says the Lord God, so Yahweh and El, his heart. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, you have to see that the, um, the, the things that we make for a garment need to be opened up, need to be rendered useless, need to be... Uh, um, so, so that what God wants to do can get through. Right. Because what we use to protect ourselves will also keep God from getting through. Yeah. And I think part of this, though, too, when he was saying, rend your heart, not your garments, is, you know, it's easy to say, okay, I'll take off the outer covering and I'll tear that up in there. I've sacrificed. But if you've not really sacrificed what caused you to put that garment on to start with, then you're no better off than right. how you started. Right. That's, that's the ultimate covering yes. is, is what covers our heart. Right. Absolutely. And um, and I think it's interesting because, you know, Mom was pointing out earlier, too, in the other scriptures, you know, one talks about the plans and purpose, one talks about his heart, and then Joel combines them both together because he says, return unto the Lord your God, his plans and purpose and his heart, for he, now it's associating both his plans and his heart, is gracious, hana, 
and merciful, Raham, yeah, slow to anger, and of great kindness, which is Hesed, and repenteth him of evil. Um, and I mean, and we just, I just kind of said this, but, and yeah, just that we can't afford to just, again, tear the covering that we've placed ourselves under to partner with whatever deceitful work, but to get to the heart of the matter. And our heart has to be made contrite before the Father with that fasting and wailing and lamentation, joining our, vo- our voice to express our, sh- our submission to the Father. And again, going back to, you know, the admonishings that we've received recently about returning to the first things first and making our point of commune and intercession that which is first and foremost in our walk as sons if we're going to partner with his river. Yes, Carmen. Yeah, it's like Joel is reminding us, and you are, that why waste your energy? Just do the hard thing and maintain yourself. Right. You know, it, I mean, we can we can even fake lament, you know, I mean, do this stuff right. just to make ourselves feel better like we're suffering or something. Well, and that's kind of if you, because you know, sometimes that covering, maybe it's a different point of ministry you put yourself under and you're partnering with something, but it's not really dealing with the real truth of the Father. And you say, okay, I'm not going to partner with this group of ministry, but if you've not changed your heart perspective that says, all right, Father, I'm only going to align with your ways, because sometimes, and not that any of us have partnered with a different ministry, but I'm just thinking, um, you know, that as we go out, there's going to be times that it may seem like, okay, well, these people aren't maybe quite on target, but if we partner with them and they're getting their message out in this way that, you know, we can slide sonship in with that. I don't know if that's the greatest example. I'm just trying to think of um, how it would be a point that, um, okay, I have the whole thought there. And now it's right. Well, that's just it. Your heart has to be focused because I guess what I was thinking is if your heart's not focused, then you'll just find some other way to adapt what your true desires and longings are, which if they're not aligned with God, it's always going to be a transgression. It's always going to be a missing of the mark. Um, So, and so then I thought, I know, I don't think, no, I did. I put the first use of anger because I was looking it up and I just thought it really, lends itself to realizing that this anger is really about this passionate point of partnership that God has really this, and actually when Carmen said it earlier about Adam and Eve in the garden, that's exactly what this is in Genesis 2-7. It says, and the Lord God, so his plans and purpose and his heart formed or squeezed into shape man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. Nostrils is the word for anger. The breath of life and man became a living soul. So God's breath, his spirit, is what was breathed into that face or the point where the passion would be directed. Um, You know, that Adam and Eve, that their face would look where God was looking with his perspective to gain their directive. And he created man to be in this intimate place of relationship where we never miss the nuances of his turning and his timing. And this, you know, like I said before, this was his original plan as evidenced by... (laughs) You know, this is what was in God's heart that the enemy could see, and this is what he hated. And so that's why we see it played out there, and then ongoing, the enemy's looking for anything, and we know this, you know, to try and keep that point of partnership, that point of submission from happening. So That's so romantic, where God was looking. That means he's continually looking at us. It's just, wow, just like this... Does he made us to do just that? Right. <sighs> <laughs> right. So, so that's all I have. I don't know.
don't know if anyone else has. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Adrian. <laughs> I think it's neat because now I'm really going to go back and when I read bless, I'm really going to look at that and sub as more submit than just, I'm going to say nice things about the Lord. And that's because that's not what it is at all. And so that's, that's really cool. I think that's a, I do like that too. 